listening to PetLifeRadio.com. You must have your invitation. You must be a preferred pet, a VIP, a very important pet. Well, come on into the party. We're back at Pet Life Radio. It's Deborah Wolf hosting as always. And at this party, we're going to talk about a few things, some animals in the news, and a record idea that I think kind of stinks. Talk about that. But before we get to that, as I was waiting to go on air today, I was talking to the producer and the owner of Pet Life Radio. We were talking about... His pet problem. Well, his cat was recently diagnosed with a problem that's really, really common in boy cats, male cats, and it's crystals in the urine. But it got into a state where the cat was really in trouble, hadn't been able to urinate on its own for a while. And if you've ever known someone who had problems with their kidneys or bladder, it can be horrifically painful. We know from humans who've suffered from this. So the cat was in really rough shape and he ended up having to take it around. And one thing I learned from what he was saying was that first thing he did was he took it to his regular vet and they weren't able to handle it so well. So they referred him on to emergency. Well, he took it to the emergency and the price was so outrageous that he couldn't do that. But the choice faced was pay the emergency price or put the cat down. The cat's only three. He loves the cat. There's no way he was going to do that. So he had the sense of confidence and peace of mind to walk out. Most of us would feel terrible and choose to put the cat down. We'd be swayed by this. But he walked out and went looking for other options. And sure enough, he found a vet clinic that was able to do it and affordable. And so you just got to keep looking. Don't give up on your pets because of price. Keep looking. There's often a solution out there for the meds or the treatment or the surgery that is affordable. So I'm glad he went through with it. And the cat's fine now. But now he was just saying to me, it's too bad because we have to feed our dogs differently. We can't just leave their food on the floor anymore because the cat was eating the dog food. And that's part of his digestion problem is that he's eating the wrong food. So I said, I was about to say, and then I decided to save it for the air, that that's actually a good thing. Because a lot of people like the idea of food just hanging around. It's sort of a human idea. You know, we like to know that there's always fruit in the fruit bowl. There's always chips in the cupboard. But animals don't really work like that, especially not dogs. Dogs are hunters. And in the wild, wolves and animals like that, they binge eat. They'll make a kill and eat an awful lot. And then they'll wait a day or two and then eat again. And so for them to just constantly have things to nibble on usually makes them overweight. It also makes them finicky. It can also make it very difficult to take trips and know when your dog has to go to the bathroom if you live in a, an apartment or a hotel because when you're traveling because you just never know when he ate when he needs to go. Whereas if it's exactly at 5 o'clock every day and 8 in the morning every morning or something similar, you know he has to poop between 5.20 and 5.40 pretty much. And it's easier. Same with the pee, especially with puppies and kittens. So getting on mealtimes is never a bad idea for the house training. But it's also a good idea from the confidence perspective. A dog who has a dish of food in the house somewhere, on some level, some part of him is thinking he has to protect that. 
Now, maybe you've got a doormat dog. Maybe you've got a golden retriever who loves everybody. Well, if you did, you wouldn't have food sitting in the dish. So it's kind of irrelevant for those dogs. They eat it all. They're scavengers. They have to eat it all because they're bred not to kill anything. So they eat everything they can find. That's a different kind of dog. But say you had a a little poodle cross. Poodle cross is not going to, it's not that into food. Poodles tend to be a little on the thin side. He's going to eat to celebrate your coming home. He's going to eat at certain times. And the food's going to sit there most of the time in the bowl. But always on his mind is the fact that there's food there, that another animal could take it, that a person could knock it over, that a kid could play with it. And for a lot of dogs who aren't that good with kids or don't have kids in their lives regularly, the food bowl on the floor can be a major problem when kids come over. So even if after this call you still decide to free feed your dogs and leave the food out all the time, and you don't think it's making them insecure, and you don't think it's making them a little more territorial, which I would argue with you. But even if you still decide you want to do that, then at least pick the food up when kids come over and pets visit. Give your dog a break. Give the kid a break. You just don't want that. Now, you can have a kid calmly take a biscuit or a piece of the kibble and make your dog sit and give it to him. That's different than a kid going and stepping in the food dish or knocking it over or playing with it as babies will. And don't be surprised if your baby puts it in his mouth. So it's always a good idea to get that food up and out before the kids visit. So that's our first talk today, a surprise little pet question, pet answer that came, comes so naturally. I can't get over how often I'm somewhere, grocery store, gas station, airport, and uh, sometimes it'll be because of the logos on my truck. Big paws, say camp, good dog. And then they'll say, hey, are you Deborah Wolf? Can I ask you something? My neighbor, my mother, my friend's dog, and on it goes. Or sometimes it's uh, people recognize me. Sometimes it's when I'm actually in the right context, like in a pet store. It's really bad there. I can't get out of a pet store. I often will actually put my hoodie up <laughs> if I'm in a hurry because I want to get in and get my stuff and I don't want to answer a million questions. And if I go to a pet store, I know, and the owner sees me, they'll even contribute. They'll say, oh, Deborah, can you come help these people? Yeah, okay. <laughs> As my clock is going tick, 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 and I'm worried about the cat I have to pick up at the vet or the dog across town that's waiting to come to Camp Good Dog. But it's always good to get stopped and get asked because I know that the people often are at their wit's end. They've struggled with a problem for a very long time. In the case of a cat, they think they have no choice get rid of the cat or keep the problem, which is not true. And in the case of a dog, they kind of blame themselves a lot, think it's their fault, when really, yeah, it kind of is because they're not doing things exactly right. But, you know, I can't fix my own car. I mean, there's lots of things I can't do exactly right. So why not ask an expert? And, you know, it might be something just so slightly off. Like I have a lot of clients, this is a really common one, where the dog jumps on the sofa they think they're doing exactly like I've shown them in my DVD and on YouTube and everything. They think they're following my advice, <laughs> but they're not. Almost, almost, almost. So what they do is they shout something like, no, Smokey. Okay. Smokey's looking at them now. And then they say, off, Smokey. And off he jumps off the couch and they say, good dog. And they go and they pet him or they throw a ball or they, whatever, they give him a cookie. Okay. Well, that's exactly what I would have them do. The only problem is, if the dog is not also given other things to do, taught come sit, stay, heal, taught go find, taught little parlor tricks whenever he's sort of needy for attention. So when they're watching TV, instead of just sitting there for the commercials, every single commercial break, they get up and they make the dog 
do something. Shake paw, roll over, play dead, lie down. It doesn't matter what. Just teach him something. It could be the same trick if he's a slow learner. It might take you two days to teach something. But after that, he'll get what's going on, and it'll be less time and less time and less time. Even a bulldog, even a pug can learn these things. But the Border Collie will learn one new trick per commercial, and then you'll have to review so they don't forget them. <laughs> when you review with a pug, it feels like the pug has never seen this trick before in its life. So be prepared to be patient depending on your breed, or be prepared for an impatient dog. If you have a Border Collie, a Standard Poodle, or a Doberman, you got to keep it coming. You may have to get some books out of the library or go on the internet, because once your dog figures out you know how to teach tricks, he's going to want more. The pug, the beagle, the basset, they'll be content with a few things like finding food. That's a good one for them, find and fetch. Anyway, so these people are doing everything right, but they're not giving their dog any other way to earn their attention. He is now a one-trick dog, and the trick he knows is jump on the couch, jump off the couch. That's what he knows. He doesn't really care that they're yelling at him or scolding him because right after comes the praise and the reward. And he has no idea how else to praise them. Now, they should teach him to lie down beside the couch and make sure the reward for lying down beside the couch is way bigger than the reward for jumping on the couch and then jumping off again. Yeah, it's good he got off once he got on, but he thinks the two are connected. He, he's now pogo stick dog. So you see how it can backfire just slightly. And the people were doing almost everything right. And all they had to do was talk to me or talk to a trainer, call in the show, check out YouTube, Deborah Wolf. There's 10 tips up there for free. Seven of them, they're all video clips, and seven of them are training tips, including kids with dogs and jumping up on people. So if you've got a dog that's rude in your life and you would like to just handle it, maybe it's not even your dog, maybe it's a neighbor's dog and it jumps all over you in the morning, this will help you. You don't even need their cooperation. You just need a, well, something the dog likes. So you might want to ask them if he's allergic to anything. And then you get a couple of treats of some kind. It can be your leftover dried up salami that you don't want to eat anyway. Or it can be a special doggy treat you buy. Or if they're cooperating, you can even have them give you the treats. And what you're going to do is, is greet that dog. And when he sits, you give him a little treat. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's very simple. When he's jumping all over you, you don't. Now, if these people are willing to help you, they'll put a leash on him and they'll make him sit. And then you go up and you give him his treat. If he jumps up or breaks a sit at all, you walk away. Try again tomorrow. You don't have to put a lot of time in. It's not your dog. But you're going to show that dog every time he sits for you, he gets a good reaction. And every time he doesn't, he gets ignored. It's, it won't take long at all. Now, if you like the dog and you don't mind interacting, you could do it on a Saturday when you're home and actually spend a half an hour on it. Get it just done. Just finish it. And what you do is you have the neighbor or the neighbor's kid put the dog on leash. They tell him to sit. He sits, you go up to him as you get closer, he gets all excited and he jumps all around and you take a step back. Try again. When he sits and holds the sit, you come forward, pet him, tell him how good he is, give him a treat some of the time. The treat isn't all that key. It's the attention this dog wants. So by jumping on you when you're in your work clothes and making a nuisance of himself, he's getting a lot of attention. And you want to teach him, "Uh uh-uh, I give attention for sitting dogs. I ignore the jumping rude kind. It takes a lot of discipline, though, for us humans to do that. It's so much more tempting to notice the rude dog, the rude cat, isn't it? I mean, really, it is. I know it is. And sometimes we're blind to our pet's bad habits. I know myself, I had this dog squeak, a blue healer, until 2009 of May when she died. And she, um, actually, she died in June, but she got sick in May. 2009. I had her a long time. 
And she read me like a book. She do. You know, before I had children, she didn't really like children. But once I had children, I had it in my head. Look, if this dog doesn't behave with kids, it is out in the barn. Not that I would ever give her away or displace her. She loved the goat. She loved her herding work. She'd be relocated with a doghouse out with her herd. That's what would happen if she didn't get with the program of loving kids. Well, I was serious about it. She got with the program. She got with the program so much, she was like a nanny dog. She would follow kids around even till the day she died, even kids that weren't mine. She was just, I remember when my daughter was already big enough to jump off the bed, but Squeak didn't realize it. And uh, I was uh, sitting where I could see the bed, but not, not that close. And Squeak was sitting with me at my feet. And I saw my daughter climbing off the bed, about to lower herself down feet first onto the floor. And Squeak barked at me. And then looked at me and then shook her head at me and then got up actually growling at me, grumbling and complaining and lay her body down where the little girl's feet were about to touch like a landing pad. And I had to actually, I mean, it was so funny. And the little girl was used to this. Squeak had always been her landing pad. But I had to actually put my daughter back on the bed and take Squeak by the collar and make her lie down and sit and hold her and let her watch Shayna, my daughter, get down from the bed safely a couple of times. And then she kind of got it. Oh, okay, we don't have to stop. <laughs> She's big enough now. That's not one of my duties I can give up. But that's the kind of dog she became, a real kid dog. And it was all because it was part of her new job. It was not, you know, the people talk about zero tolerance and all that. Well, I believe that when it comes to kids and biting and nipping. I don't have any tolerance for kids being mean to dogs. I don't have any tolerance for dogs being mean to kids. It should never happen. I should be in charge of things and direct things and control things so it never happens. And, um, you know, if you have that attitude with your animals, in fact, you probably do. The things they're probably doing wrong are things that don't bug you that much. Like the woman who doesn't really care if the cats are on the counter will have cats on the counter, right? She just, well, <laughs> they just know she's not serious about it. Now, that same woman may absolutely hate it when they scratch her ankles or bite as love bites. She might hate that and always put the cat down as soon as he bites her. Well, he won't bite her anymore. Very simple. Our animals figure out exactly what we'll put up with and what we won't. If you're listening to this last part of the show and you're thinking, well, my dog's not that great with kids or my kids aren't that great with dogs or my dog's pretty good with kids, but there's a lot of kids in the neighborhood, you know, anything like that. Or I'm going to have kids and I have a dog already. I wonder what I should do. Check out the Deborah Wolf YouTube channel because on there, there's a clip and it's free and it's a clip about kids and dogs and how to get them to get along. Go there. And there's lots on my website too, debwolf.net. And, ooh, okay. I was saying to Mark, he said, where have you been? Because I've been off the air for a little while, and I took some traveling time, and I had Christmas rush here at Camp Good Dog. I run a boarding kennel, so that caused me to take a little break and be inundated with happy dogs and snow and all the things that come with Christmas in Canada. <laughs> and uh, so we did that. And then, yeah, I got tired of the rain and the snow and went to Florida for a couple of weeks. Hallelujah. Boy, you have it nice there. Yes, would love to relocate. It's gorgeous there. It's gorgeous here too, but man, the sun was nice. So while I was in Florida, I got to see manatee. I got close up to, got to see dolphins, a baby dolphin that was no longer than my shoulders are wide, like a really little baby dolphin playing in the surf with its mom, I guess, maybe 20 feet offshore during a an evening when we'd gone down, me and my kids, my mom and my sister and her family, all of us went down to the beach to watch the sunset. And 
we were watching the sunset behind a baby dolphin. I mean, how cool is that? So tiny. Anyway, so we had a really good time when it comes to the animals. My last day there was in Orlando. And my kids were complaining because the whole time we were there, we hadn't managed to see an alligator despite several attempts. <laughs> Lots of looking. And there we were in Disney World, right in the middle of, what do they call it? I think Frontierland beside the haunted house next to the pond. There we were. And there's a baby alligator floating around in there. And I'm thinking, don't they have pirate shows <laughs> where the men jump in here? Maybe this isn't such a good thing. But he was so visible. He was about four feet long. And he was swimming around on the surface. And my kids got to see him. Lots of kids got to see him. It was pretty cool. Took some pictures. So that made Disney World even more special. And uh, let's see. The night I left on my big trip was a very exciting night. I knew that my golden retriever, first-time mom, was about to have her first litter by Vegas, my, my senior-old stud. And uh, I knew it was going to happen. I hoped it would happen before I left, but not too much before I left because, you know, the timing was such that really the earliest she could have them healthy was March 6th. And I was leaving March 7th. And the puppies were born March 7th. <laughs> Somehow, she and I were on the same wavelength. I kept looking at her all week long thinking, better be soon, better be soon. You want my help, don't you? Now, of course, I had staff ready to go. And in fact, the person who was supposed to be handling the, the whelping of the litter came over and helped me partway through the litter. So there were two of us, but, which is the first time for me. I've always done it single-handedly. And it was so nice to have someone there. But she had, so thanks, Jenny, officially. Thank you for being a, a midwife on call for Sparkle, the golden retriever. And so Jenny came out, and one pup was born. A couple pups were born. I called her, Skyped her, and told her. And we had nine puppies. I actually called from the airport to see if any more were born after I left. And no, no more were born. So there were nine puppies, all beautiful, blonde, little squiggly, little screaming potatoes, as my daughter calls them. And uh, first week, we took, well, we took video of the birth. And then we took pictures of them when they were one week old, two weeks old, three weeks old. Now we're at four weeks old. If you want to see these puppies, go to Camp Good Dog on Facebook because that's where we posted them. They're so cute. And I think they're on YouTube too, but I'm not sure exactly. So find Camp Good Dog on Facebook and you can have a look at some of the dogs who've been here the past couple of weeks and some videos of different types of dogs here. But also there's the puppies and they're really, really cute. Today for the first time, they're really actually eating. It's early. They're only four weeks and I'd rather them wait till six, but they were trying to get their mother's food all week. And uh, so today I poured them out their puppy kibble and added water to it and mixed it all up and gave it to them. And boy, were they eating. So yeah, Sparkle's doing great. Her pups are doing great. She's still nursing them, of course, for another few weeks. And there's nine, five girls, four boys, all beautiful golden doodles. Well, I think we'll go to a commercial break right now. I want you to stay tuned to the party and come on back. I'll be back with some animal news and maybe a story or two about breeding dogs. Stay tuned at Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Because the best is yet to come. Stick around. Pet, pet, pet go. Where the pets go. Go, 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 go
Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. Welcome to GoDaddy.com's Internet Cloud. First, get your domain name from GoDaddy.com. Then, make your business and personal Internet dreams come true. Go to GoDaddy.com. Use promo code PARTY101 and get a .com domain name for just $7.49. PARTY102 for 10% off your order. PARTY103 for $5 off $30 or more on any items. Or PARTY104 for 20% off one-year hosting plans at GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy.com. Domains, websites, and everything in between. Aquariums and pond keeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. your host Deborah Wolf. Sometimes I'm a dog trainer, sometimes I'm a teacher, sometimes I'm an author, but lately I've been a midwife, (laughs) a midwife to dogs, and that's a different kind of a job for sure. In fact, the first part of the midwifing actually starts with the mating, and it might not be as easy as you think. It's not just putting a boy dog and a girl dog out in the yard together and closing the windows, because when your dog is very expensive, well, when both are, and when the puppies are valued a lot... And when you don't want medical bills of any sort associated with any of it, you don't just let them go in the backyard like you might if you didn't care and you had a bunch of mutts, which I wouldn't recommend because most of those dogs end up homeless. But at any rate, no, you, you have to do it carefully. Now, the female has two to three weeks where it seems like to us humans, seems like she could get pregnant because it's almost like she has a menstrual cycle. It looks like that. There's discharge and it's red in color. But that's not the case. In the middle of that time period, that will stop. She will not have any messing, and that's the time she can get pregnant. Now, sometimes that's three days, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's more. And she releases eggs little by little. So if she mates with one papa on the first day and a different papa on the last day, you can get a very strange litter. You can get a litter that's maybe, you know, half Shih Tzu cross and half Doberman cross. You really can. 
you can get a litter that <laughs> where the puppies don't look anything like each other, and half of them are twice the size of the others, or a completely different color, or something you didn't expect at all. So you want to be really careful when you have a breeding female that's valuable and a male that's valuable and litter stock that's valuable and maybe registerable, like when I do my standard poodle litters, you want to be sure which male, which female, that there's nobody else in there. And you also want to know when they actually do it. Because when they actually do it, it takes 20 to 40 minutes usually. It's a long thing. But that ensures that there are puppies coming. And you need to know the date and the time and how long they were together, locked in locked position. See, now that's another thing that's a little bit strange. They don't exactly do it the way we think they do it. They sort of start that way with the boy on top from behind. But very quickly, he will stop moving around so much and then put his leg over, (laughs) which is why the British often say, did you get your leg over when they're talking slang about whether two people have been together or not and they're talking to the man. But what it is is he, he tries to change position so that he can then stand end to end with her, tail to tail, bum to bum. And they stand like that for a while. And then when that's over, he'll actually start to turn back again. So they're almost standing beside each other. And that goes on for a little while. And then uh, they separate and by themselves, you don't separate them ever. And then you put him away and you let her have a good drink and a and a rest and you write the time down. So that's how it goes. Now, sometimes he'll miss. He'll want to jump on her head or jump on you or not understand what his job is. Sometimes the angles are tricky and a lot of times the female challenges the male. She wants to make sure that he's no wimp. He's no dummy. He's not too violent. She's checking on his temperament, his attitude, his agility, his strength, a lot of things. So you'll see them run and play and wrestle, and it has edge, but there's a lot of wrestling where she's challenging him over and over and over, and he's spinning and turning and leaping and jumping, and you kind of got to let that happen. That's the way she'll accept him. Now, even though she may accept him, at some point, usually partway through, She'll decide she's had enough (laughs) and start attacking him where you are trying to get away. So it can be very physical work with two big dogs, especially if you do it by yourself. Now, some females, like my red standard poodle, never attacks her male. She loves him, and she would never attack him. She just adores Vegas, the poodle that she's mated with so far. And she adores his son, too, so it's looking good for the future. But some dogs, like Sparkle, Sophie, all the Goldens I've ever bred, they change their mind part way. (laughs) And when they change their mind, the male is stuck and has no... So it's a tricky job, and you definitely have to, to be on your toes. It's not as easy as it sounds. Then two months later, you're expecting pups, and you never know when that's going to come. They have a lot of heavy breathing and following you around that makes you think it's time. So for days, you're kind of stuck at home waiting. Then the night comes, and they start to come, and one puppy, two puppies. Well, now you never know when the last one. Is this the last one? Is that the last one? So there's a lot of late nights and sleeping on the couch involved with this. But then you have your puppies, and each one is born with a sack over itself, usually, unless it's already come off, and attached to a placenta. So you have to make sure that every single time all of the sack comes out, the puppy comes out, the puppy can breathe, the sack gets cut by the mother or by you and tied with dental floss first, that's a whole other thing, and that they're nursing. And once they're nursing, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief because you know they're going to be okay. And the last litter, this litter I had, I was so glad they were vigorous puppies because when I was packing to leave for my trip, I kept checking on her and packing some more and checking on her. And at one point in the evening, I heard this squealing outside. 
And I thought, oh, no, the two rescue kittens have got out. I don't know how they got out because they're locked away, but somehow they got out. It sounded like a kitten outside. So I went running out there to rescue the kitten, and there was a puppy outside. Now, I knew she might be in labor, so I'd already locked up all the gates. It was just a patio. But there was a puppy born steaming. It had just been born, and it was steaming in the cold, wet, rainy day. And it it was covered still uh, and dragging its sack around. It was amazing, amazing vitality to see that. Because usually they don't even move. They don't make sound. Anyway, so very quickly I cleaned her up and brought her in to her mom. And the mom wanted nothing to do with her. She looked at me like, what have you got there? That's pretty gross. So I had to tie her cord with dental floss, which I'd already, you know, cleaned the area, cleaned the floss, tied it really tight, tied another two inches away from the puppy, which seems like a lot, but you don't want to make a mistake and be too close. And then I tied another cord really close to the placenta and I cut in the middle and made sure it had stopped bleeding. I made sure the puppy was breathing before I did that and the sack was all removed. And then I tried to give her to him, to to the mom. And again, she looked at me like, well, that's lovely. You keep it. (laughs) I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is not good. She doesn't know they're her puppies. But the next one came within an hour And the whole thing was much more with me right there and her on the bed that I'd brought out for her to do this. And the puppy was born. And as as it came out, she was right away licking the sack off and getting it breathing. And she was right away cutting the cord. And she was right away taking care of it. And then when I put the first puppy back, she took them both and nursed them both. So it was big sigh of relief on my part. And it was like she all of a sudden understood what they were. I think up until then, all the puppies she'd ever met had had their vaccines. They were older. It's safe for her to meet them. And they were cuter. And they were running around. And they looked more like dogs. These things. She was like, no, that's not what I signed up for. (laughs) But but after she had uh, the second one, she totally took to it. And she's taking care of all of them. And they are so gorgeous. She's just done an amazing job. So check out Camp Good Dog on Facebook if you want to see them. And um, okay. So now I'm going to switch topics a little bit and tell you about, talk about a hard decision. This zookeeper had to make, I mean, you, you got to decide in a split second, what do I do? What do I do? I would not want to be in this situation. So it's at the Colorado Zoo, and it's about two weeks ago. And um, a silverback, one of the toughest, biggest gorillas in the whole zoo, gets out and attacks this woman. She needs stitches and everything. I think it was a woman. I'm not sure. Attacks the zookeeper and, you know, cuts the leg and tears the muscle and really, really attacks this person. So the person has a choice. Can't get out. Can't do much against a silverback. There's another cage with a mama gorilla and her newborn baby. And so the zookeeper goes in there. Now, I'm guessing the zookeeper was a woman because she was completely safe in there and nothing happened. And then they, uh, she radioed and they got her out of there. But I'm guessing she was a woman because I think if a man had gone in there, it wouldn't have been as good. But gorillas do raise their young in groups of female colonies and with one silverback that sort of visits. And it's possible that that's why. But what a decision to make. Do I go with the girl, the new mom who might be very, very, very protective, who's also 200 something pounds? Or do I go with an 800 pound male who's attacking me? I guess it's not that hard a decision, but a terrible decision. And she must have been sweating and bloody and, and fearful and all the things that would set a new mother off. Boy, she must really know her stuff to be able to do that. Years ago, I worked with baby gorillas. Not for very long at all. I was a temporary to cover for the guy who broke his neck, the guy before me. And he broke his neck because they were playing with him. They would swing from their monkey bar apparatus down onto the people. And sometimes they would sort of hang off your neck by one hand and then swing up again. Well, these gorillas, they look like babies. They stand as up to your knees. 
or up to your hips, but they're heavy. They're heavy like a person. And so they can really, really hurt you. So I don't know how that zookeeper had the presence of mind. It's, it's pretty amazing. And um, life in the zoo is different for sure. I wish there was a way we could only use them for endangered species and regeneration of populations and relocate everything else away because I do feel so, so sad for the boredom that the animals must encounter. When I think of those dolphins I saw in the Gulf of Mexico and I think of the dolphins at the tank with the fake facade wallpaper that's supposed to look like the ocean, it's just, it's crushing. I don't like to think about that. But, okay, so let's talk about the bears. Well, (laughs) this is a funny story. How would you like to get up in the morning and hear your kids screaming from the kitchen? Dad, there's a polar bear in the kitchen! Dad! Okay, well, that actually happened. Now, the kid who ran into the polar bear is not exactly a kid. He's 29 years old, but still, enough to scare anybody. So this 29-year-old... It's over at his dad's, who's 55, and he goes to the kitchen early in the morning to get something to eat. And uh, he heard a ruckus. There was this noise in the kitchen that he wasn't making, so he flicked on the light, <laughs> and there was a polar bear. There was also his other son, his daughter, her three children, and her boyfriend, all sleeping at 4 a.m. when this happened. The bear was starting to retreat. The guy fired two shots over its head to frighten it. Because he was scared if he wounded it and didn't kill it, it would come back at him. Smart man, because these things are near impossible to kill. It's a very, very, very large animal. Two or three times the size of a normal bear, really. And they're not known for backing down. They're really not. These are hunters. But the bear did leave. He had beaten doors and broke windows at three other homes. He'd killed some sheep and ducks, but without stopping to eat. Now, that's always a sign. You know, I uh, had a mountain lion come to school near here about a year ago and kill a bunch of petting zoo goats that were there at the school, but just left them. When that happens, they go hunt the animal down because they're not hunting to feed their hunger. They're hunting for some other reason, and it's dangerous. At least that's what the authorities say. So the local RCMP got wildlife officers to go shoot the bear. And it turns out he weighed, the bear weighed 300 pounds. So this is the first time they've ever had a bear show up in someone's kitchen, a polar bear. And that was in Newfoundland. Scary, scary. Now, there's bears in Montana coming out early. So if you live in bear country, you already know what to do. You know to make noise. You know to bring dogs on leash so they don't run off, chase the bear, get the bear mad, and run back to you. So they bark with you, keeping the bear away. You know never, never to have your garbage and your recycling and your compost and all that attracting the bears, the bird seed. Bears are coming out early. The winter wasn't cold enough. So you've really got to watch it. Now, here's an interesting thing that I found in the news. In New York, actually in Connecticut, they have this thing called Amnesty Day, where once a year, I'm trying to see what day it is. It was just this past month in March. I'm not sure what day. But once a year, the zoo there offers Exotic Animal Amnesty Day. And it's in partnership with the government. And what they do is anybody with exotics that they can't handle, bring them in. There'll be no penalties, no fines, nothing. No questions. They'll just take them and take care of them. The first Amnesty Day was held at the zoo in 2009. And it came just months after a 200-pound chimpanzee in Stamford, Connecticut, viciously mauled a woman he had known for years. The chimpanzee, Travis, was stabbed by his owner in a desperate attempt to subdue him. But it was a gunshot from a police officer that ultimately killed him. This year, another Burmese python, Bruno, along with an alligator, snapping turtle named Jaws, and two American alligators, all of them illegal to own in Connecticut, were also handed over to the zoo in an effort by their owners to adhere anonymously to regulatory changes that clarified the legality of exotic pet possession in the state. So 
I think this is a great idea because sometimes people get an idea. They're going to get an attention-getting pet, something that will, you know, be like a conversation piece. Oh, I'll get a monkey. Oh, I'll get a parrot. Oh, I think I'll get an alligator. Ha ha, aren't I cool? And, you know, as you can tell from my tone, I'm not too impressed with that because usually they don't research what's involved. Normally they have no idea that the parrot's going to outlive them, that normal for a parrot would be 85 years or mountain lion in captivity 50. I don't even know the lifespan of an alligator, but I'm guessing it's longer than the attention span of the person who got it. And that's the critical point here. Monkeys, easily 80. Easily. And, you know, a little baby monkey is not the same as an adult monkey. Just like a little baby wolf is not the same as an adult wolf. In fact, wolves change a few times in their lives, at two and then again at eight usually. So what you get at six is not what you're going to get at nine. And it's, these things are not dogs. These monkeys are, are not babies. And these alligators are not fish. This is something that really, it's a bad idea for almost everybody. Unless you live on a hobby farm that's been fitted out like a zoo and you really know what you're doing and there's a reason you're doing what you're doing, this is really quite a selfish thing. And I think the more we can do to help people get rid of these animals without releasing them into the wild where they can do so much damage as invaders foreign to the environment or without keeping them in tiny, tiny cages. I mean, oftentimes they'll go by what the seller tells and the seller will tell them whatever they want to hear. If they say they want a small reptile, the seller might tell them, oh, keep it in a small cage. It'll stay small. That's not true for most. It'll just be cruel. It'll be big and it'll be crowded and it'll be cruel. So really, you got to look elsewhere for your information. Then get totally set up and maybe try it for a while. Go volunteer at a reptile society near you because this is a problem in every city all over North America. There's always going to be reptile refuges and places that need your help where they're rescuing these things. So if you have a real desire, a kid who's just dying to have something like this, get him doing some volunteer work instead. Chances are after six months he'll be over it and he'll have done some good instead of some bad. Okay, so that's a couple of stories from the news. I think we have to break for another commercial. So I'm going to have to hold the party. We'll be back in a minute with Pet Life Radio Animal Party. Stay tuned and come back with Deborah Wolf. Don't leave this party before it's over because the best is yet to come. Only losers leave the party early anyway. Party on. Back in a few. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Backs are powerful bagless upright backings for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Back, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Back today. Dyson. Music to your ears. 
I don't make any decisions about who to hire without going to Angie's List first. You'll find reviews on home repair to health care written by people just like you. With Angie's List, I know who to call and I know the results will be fantastic. Angie's List, who you can trust. Go to Angie'sList.com forward slash best and get 25% off any subscription. That's Angie'sList.com forward slash best, B-E-S-T. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello. You're back to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with me, Deborah Wolf. And we've talked a little bit dogs, a little bit cats today, a little bit bears. So I told you I'm not so happy with this new record promotion. I'm kind of mixed, actually, because Jack White has a new new album out, brand new Blunderbust, it's called. And what I like about it is that he's used tiny 45s to uh, publicize this. He's used these tiny little records that I remember from when I was growing up. I used to get the Disney records book on record, and you would turn the page when Tinkerbell went, bing, and they were that size. I, I have really good memories of the 45s. But... The problem is, in order to launch it, what they did was they took 2,000 of these and they put them on helium balloons and let them go in Nashville. So everybody who catches a balloon gets a record, and that's how they're creating the buzz. Okay, I like that idea, but what I don't like is helium balloons. When are people going to stop releasing helium balloons? It's like they don't get the damage it causes to the ecosystem. It's really, really bad for all kinds of things that feed on jellyfish, which is basically everything in the sea that we care about. They eat the plastic, and they, they eat the balloon, and they get ill. They die. I mean, it's terribly, terribly toxic non-biodegradable, and it looks and behaves in water like a food source for so many animals. So I really, really hope they'll stop doing this with the helium balloons. If you have some cause and they want to put a message in a balloon and let it go, talk them into something else. Even a bottle would be better, a glass bottle. You know, at least it'll biodegrade eventually. Helium balloons are nasty things. So as far as brand new blender bust, that's my blender. You made a blunder when you chose to release helium balloons into the environment. Sorry to tell you, Jack White. Try again. I want to talk about spring, spring cleaning. Okay, so whenever you can and you've got pets around, use green things to clean. Now, what do I mean? I mean, the stuff that smells so yummy to us that makes it seem like your house is clean before you've even started. <laughs> Most of that stuff has a lot of chemicals in it. And because dogs and cats are so small... They get exposed like children do, like babies. And because they're low to the ground and naked and barefoot, even more so. If you can imagine taking a toddler with no clothes and no shoes and wiping it across your floor or counter right after you've bleached, that's the kind of thing we're doing to our pets. So 
they can get really sick from all this stuff. And sometimes they can get just a little bit sick all the time. And we don't even notice that it's hurting their health. So what I suggest is you go online and you find some good cleaning solutions. One of my favorites that I use oh, so many places is vinegar. You put vinegar with water, like a half-half mixture for your kitchen counters and sinks and stuff like that. And if the mess is more serious, you just go higher on the vinegar. Cats hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. If you wipe the counter with it and they get up there, they'll start sneezing. So that's another reason I like it so much is because it repels them from the places you don't want them. Now, I wouldn't clean their litter box with vinegar because I want them to use their litter box. I would just clean it probably with baking soda and water and then maybe with vinegar and then rinse it out really well in baking soda and water and then start over. But any place you don't want them messing, vinegar is the key. So if you've got pets that are sneezing, coughing, have nose or eye discharge, extra salivation, vomiting, diarrhea, appetite problems or anorexia, lethargy, that means they're tired, seizures, these are signs that they're getting some kind of metabolic disease, some kind of problem, some kind of toxic overload. And not necessarily that it's going to progress to a disease, but it could. It could progress to sickness. So what you want is you want to prevent them from getting all these chemicals in them. So, and you know what? It's better for you too. It really is. I know. I'm tempted too. I love the smell of the clean, clean, clean smell. You know, when you, when you go into a hotel lobby washroom and it just smells amazing. Yeah, but that's not good for your pets or your kids. So use the baking soda, use the vinegar, go online. There's lots of things you can use with oranges and lemons that make it smell like oranges and lemons. So why not be healthy? Okay. Also, it's been a really warm winter in a lot of places, which means fleas and ticks are out like never before for some regions. And so even if you've never thought about flea or tick remedies, now's a good year to think about it. When I'm talking about the ticks, I'm particularly worried because of Lyme disease. When I'm talking about the fleas, I'm worried because once an animal is is reacting to fleas, it gets run down in all kinds of other ways. Fleas and worms are connected. And worms go from kids to people. Well, they go from kids to the nicest people, the people who kiss animals on the face, so (laughs) touch them and let them in their beds. So those are my listeners. So I want you all to be really careful about this. Okay, this is the time this year to deworm pretty religiously. If you've got little kids, if you've got animals that might sniff poop at the park or, you know, dig, you definitely need to get them on some regime this year because it's going to be a really bad flea and tick year. And I don't want to hear... I don't want to get calls from you all telling me, oh no, my dog has Lyme disease and now he's on antibiotics and he's really ill and he won't eat and that kind of thing when we could prevent it. Now, of course, if that does happen, you can definitely call me and I'll help you through it. But I'd rather you avoid kids with worms, nasty. Dogs with worms, they scoot their bums sometimes, not always. You see the worm only once in the cycle, so don't expect to see it in the poo. But the dogs will act different. They may be itchy all over because fleas and worms go together. They may have some flea dust, dirt. That's little black flecks that show they've had fleas in their skin. They may have bite marks. You may start itching your ankles or wrists. That's the way to know you've got fleas in your house. And you've got to treat all their areas, everything really well, and treat them for at least two months. But I'd say more, given that we didn't have a cold winter. At least two months to get them all, the fleas, the ticks, the larvae, the eggs, everything. But with the ticks, the Lyme disease is really worrisome. And it seems to be spreading. I just heard of a case in Washington, D.C. that was diagnosed last week. And to me, this isn't the right time of year for that. How could there possibly be a Lyme disease? But apparently, the warm winter means 
things didn't get killed off like they're supposed to. So I just want to caution you all on that and get you working on that ahead of time. Fleas and ticks are not our friends. (laughs) And worms are not our friends. So they are not welcome at Animal Party. We're going to get rid of them and not have them at the party. All right, everybody. So until next week, be good to your animals from Pet Life Radio and me, Deborah Wolf. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.